Hello. Hello. And welcome to Planet Marzipan, the Fish and Marillion podcast. I'm Meza, and here's my mate, Craig Houston. Welcome to the latest Planet Marzipan podcast. I'm Meza and I'm here with my mate, Big. And we have another guest. We have the mighty Tim Sidwell. Hello, chaps. Hello. Hello. Uh, Tim's joined us to talk about Marillion videos and and, uh, filming bands and, and that sort of thing. But as usual, we'll start with how did you first hear about Marillion, Tim? Well, I was probably about 13, 14 years old. And my mate, his dad used to work for EMI. And whenever I went around to his house uh, to play on the Spectrum and all that kind of stuff. Ooh, that was the Commodore 64, guys. Oh, no. Right, podcast over. (laughs) I'm going home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he did all the in-store displays for EMI. But he also, um, he was a rep for EMI as well. So he always used to let us sort of have a choice of, seven inch singles and stuff so my record collection was quite good even at such a young age and it was the assassin uh seven inch oh yeah single the cover i was just flicking through what he'd got on offer that week and uh yeah it, it just caught my eye took it home played it and never looked back really that was the start of um where <laughs> the journey to where we all are now absolutely yeah so do, when did you first see the band live then it was uh misplaced childhood Okay. Uh, January 1986 at Birmingham Odeon, and that that was through my mate's dad as well. We, we okay. got uh, we got freebies for that. Me and my mate yeah. did. Um, yeah, it just visually stunning show, uh, and it was my first ever gig as well. So, oh wow, yeah. Well, there you go. Great place to start. That was the tour with all the sort of the cards on the backdrop, wasn't it? And the, that's the right. Cards and and the... I remember. I remember. I can't remember what stage of the show it was, but I remember fish jumping off the back of the stage through a window is that right am i remember yeah, there right? was a there was the jester jumping through the back I, I, I mean he might have i, th- I think he might have done yeah because that yeah, struck yeah. me as uh, as a thing yeah 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 so that yeah. was the first time fantastic you're talking to us today because you still have a relationship with, with meridian but it's a, a far more business-like relationship now um what just to jump right to current day what what's your role and in, in in the Film production and the and all that sort of thing. What what is your current role with Marillion? Well, uh, it's producing, directing, editing all the concert films that we put out. But it's also expanded over the last few years into YouTube territory and documentaries. I mean, the, the recent series of Warner releases, each of them's got a documentary on which I've produced, and the YouTube channel. I kind of took that on board sort of during covid during lockdown to try and expand it and get more subscribers and viewers to that as part of the whole marketing mix of the meridian machine Uh, and that's going quite well as well so i'm doing quite a lot i mean i've got at the moment i've got i'm in the middle of doing this strange engine documentary i'm in the middle of doing the second part of port zealand from last year because obviously we released the an hour before it's dark uh 
part of it uh, before Christmas, but the second part, the Friday night and the second half of Sunday is going to come out later this year. Uh, I spoke with Lucy earlier on today about all the Meridian monthly activity that we've got coming up. Uh, so it's a whole smorgasbord of, of visual delight. <laughs> And and do you work for other bands as well, don't you? Freelance, you work for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, towards infinity, my my thing is is a completely independent production company. Um, so at the moment, I'm also working for Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. Uh, last couple of weeks, I've been at the Royal Albert Hall filming show footage, and we we covered all the red carpet stuff last week. Uh, today, I've been cutting together something for Big Big Train. Uh, over Christmas, I was following up on some work that we've been doing for Deep Purple Brilliant. over the last couple of years, and what are the other projects I've got? I've got a project for uh, an artist called Albert Hammond, who's oh. yeah an old songwriter type yeah. fella who's got a new album coming out uh, re- uh, in the next couple of months. And we filmed a couple of days with him at Metropolis Studios before Christmas for loads of release material for that, which will be coming up in the next six weeks or so. So it sounds like you're really busy. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Though, it's a know. great problem to have. I wish yeah. I'd clone myself <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I was talking to the girls at work, and they—I uh, was saying they were coming on to speak, to, to speaking to Tim, and uh, I said, "Oh, so what are the stuffs he done?" And I said, "Oh, he's, he's he's done steps, and he's done banana banana rama, and, and the girls get excited because Fay tours her from steps as a regular at our shop because uh, she lives up here and does some cake stuff. And so. Yeah, the steps the steps projects were great. We we uh, worked with them twice. Uh, once we shot them at Wembley Arena. And the next time I was just doing the post-production on a, an O2 Arena show, but they're lovely, lovely people. Faye's lovely. Um, and yeah, the production on their shows and the professionalism is just something else. And uh, I won't hear a thing said against them. No, no. <laughs> good night out. But, absolutely. We've also done Bring Me the Horizon. I mean, yeah. uh, we did them at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, the Teenage Cancer Trust show, and they had a full orchestra and, and they had Choir Noir. That's where I came across Choir Noir oh, wow. uh, a few years ago. And uh, log, logged them in my memory banks and suggested them to uh, H and Mike Hunter while they were recording uh, an hour before it's dark. And now they're on board as part of the whole oh, thing. Well, we've talked about Crow and the Nightingale. Crow and the Nightingale, yeah. I'm with you on that, Mizza. I'm with Absolutely you on that. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see them at a gig with a band somewhere. I don't know if it's logistically possible, but that would be amazing. I think if it's ever going to happen, it's got to happen in the UK because uh, obviously, I mean, Cat's Bristol based, and a lot of well, they're actually, all the all the choruses are based all over the place, but mostly in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The surround mix on that, which starts with the choir, is just phenomenal. We're not here to talk about that, but uh, so but where where was the first? You've been involved filming Marillion since two thousand seven. It was a little bit before then, actually. I first came across Lucy when she actually took over the reins at Marillion. And I'm friends with Anne Bond, who's part mm, of yeah. Web UK. I've known Anne yeah. since we were at secondary school together. And when Lucy came on board, she was doing like a tour of, of, of the country, trying to understand what the fan base was like and what kind of talent that she could sort of tap into to help her with what she was wanting to do with the band. And I went along to one of those meetings and nothing much happened for a couple of years. And then I, I, I sent sent Lucy an email seeing whether or not she'd like one of their in-store appearances filmed for the Marbles promotion. Mm-hmm. And I went over to Birmingham at HMV and did that. And then they contacted me to see whether I 
would sort of uh, bring a couple of cameras to the 2005 Minehead convention. And that was really sort of uh, GoPros on dogs and yogurt pots. And it was a real <laughs> cobbled together production design that was. Um, and I don't think that was ever meant to see the light of day until Lucy sort of got back in touch and said, oh, do you think you could do something with that footage? And that became bootleg buttons. Well, it was bootleg buttons, didn't That's it? Right, yeah. yeah. And and marbles by the sea is that right yeah that was well that was part of the that convention that because the two two nights became smoke and mirrors yeah i think yeah, yeah. um marbles by the sea I, that did that get an audio cd got an audio release yeah but you've yeah. got it you've now got it on the space haven't you yeah well i also always had it as a, a as an edit and when we when we put the space up and we were looking for content to to put on the space it seemed like well that that's an ideal concert to go up there mm. that was brilliant what was it h's haircut was the title <laughs> that weekend wasn't it i think yeah yeah <laughs> you doing your brian cuddly it's a puppet it's a puppet yeah, yeah. <laughs> got a laugh in the crowd but there you go <laughs> thankfully the man couldn't hear it but well, i've got to say around that time um i was i was also working for magnum and I mean, which is quite relevant at the moment mm, because we've yeah. just lost we've just lost Tony Clarkin, and I must say he of all the musicians that I've ever worked with, he was he was the one that hated most hated having a camera poked at his face. <laughs> Bless him. He was always a guy that was he was so generous with his time, and you know, really really fascinating songwriter, prolific songwriter. Yeah, um, a very gentle personality, and uh, it's, it's such a shame that he he passed away so suddenly yeah we were i think we were recording the pod with um stephanie with stephanie yeah yeah the the two, two weeks ago. passed and and she'd not heard and then obviously she passed the message back to yourself yeah that's uh, that's right yeah, yeah really really sad loss and the timing of it you know with the new album and everything is very strange isn't it it is yeah 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 so i'm i mean i'm hoping to go over to uh mad hat studios where they record and, and see mark stewart their producer uh, fairly soon so right. quite quite good friends but um magnum were pretty much the first proper concert film that we ever did and it was the on the storytellers night anniversary show at the astoria oh fantastic in two th- that was 2005 as well yeah so yeah that's that's kind of where it all started because the prior to yourselves doing the marillion shows it was primarily the boom boom boys wasn't it that's right yeah and yeah. have you got some of their some of their footage on the space as well is that right yeah, I mean, we've expanded the space so that it includes as much, um, you know, concert footage as possible. And of course, they did the um, all the all the stuff that was on the Wish You Were Here yeah. uh, box set. So the first couple of conventions, uh, there's absolutely tons of footage from that. And of course, they got the they got the world record first first up for the fastest turnaround from the from concert to DVD release, which we then went and smashed at the Wolverhampton Civic in 2013. Yeah. Just do my research today. The previous record I think that they had was sixty-three hours. Yeah, and you've got it in ten and a half hours. Is well, it? I've got, I've got the Guinness. Got the I've got the plaque up there. It says uh, ten hours thirty-one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was that was some night. That was. That's one of me. What's one of me Blu-rays to ask you about? What what sort of stories have you got from that night apart from no sleep? It was no sleep, basically. Uh, I mean, the Wolverhampton Civic is, I mean, because I'm, I'm based in the Midlands. I used to go there all the time back in the day. So it was a real, the first thing that struck me about that, that project was seeing all the people lined up in the morning afterwards outside, you know, my local gig, 
to buy stuff that we'd actually produce, which was absolutely mind blowing. How bad? But I mean, the one thing, the one abiding memory that I've got of that, apart from actually going through the process of doing it all, was that, um, yeah, I was in that venue by myself all night long. Uh, oh, you were on get, your own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, I didn't realize that. And at three o'clock in the morning, I, w- I was in a room just, just sort of off the balcony within earshot of the auditorium. About three o'clock in the morning, I swore that I could hear somebody sweeping up plastic cups. Oh, dear. So, so I thought, <laughs> I've just got to pop outside and, and just say hello. And I, I popped my head around the door into the auditorium. There was nobody there. And I found out about three years later that allegedly the Wolverhampton Civic Hall is the most haunted concert oh, dear. Venue <laughs> in the wow. country. Wow. Maybe so, I thought I thought they could have at least had somebody there providing you. I thought there was somebody of, there. I thought yeah, that was the requirement coffee. of the record. But yeah, yeah. cups of no. coffee and jammy dodgers and things. Everybody, everybody buggered off and went to bed. Oh, wow. and, left, and left me to it. <laughs> As Lucy would say, twat. <laughs> is it? I've never really compared the two. Is there a massive difference in the edited, in the the reissued Blu-ray from the original? No, not really. No? I mean, I was, again, I've rewatched a little bit of this today. The it was a cracking show. Yeah, really. Oh, it's a great show. And that was the last time that H uh, sang script for Justice Tear, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he did a blooming amazing performance of that. Sort well, it's, I mean, the radiation set's great, but the encore set's brilliant on here as well, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I went, did, I did went hooks through it. Hooks in yeah. you, followed by Cover My Eyes, which I don't think that you can do without oxygen now. <laughs> yeah, I went through that when we did uh, radiation the other week with Mark. Yeah, I really enjoyed looking back on that. But for, for this for this recording, I went back and rewatched somewhere in London, which I haven't looked at for a long time. Oh, crumbs, yeah. That was at the forum, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember being chased out of that venue. What was it on the second night by a school disco? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was funny because when we did uh, Magnum at the uh, the Astoria, we got chased out by uh, GAY because they got the, yes. got the venue <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> so we like became a dab hand at breaking everything down and getting out as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's funny watching somewhere in London because uh, we were there for both nights, but we were in different positions wearing different clothes. So you can, can you see, see yourselves? Can you see <laughs> we we were on the uh, on the second night. We were on the front row. There was me and me missus and John and Mike Martin and various other people who we recognise. So, and uh, you can see us singing along to songs like uh, on, the, on on disc two. There's uh, Easter and most toys and stuff like that. I always liked most toys. It's good for a laugh. It, it is. is. Well, we'll put that with hooks in you and to cover my eyes and see what happens. After well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be yeah. a coronary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Was that the the first long form video for Marillion? Then it pretty much was, London. wasn't it? So that's yeah. was that two thousand seven. Was it not yeah. the convention before? Yeah, it came well, out afterwards. That came out afterwards, and and that was another kind of um, yogurt pot exercise because. It was the first one in Port Zealand, wasn't it? Two thousand seven. Seven, yeah, yeah. Strange and Engine and the the, the uh, covers and rarities night and that's right. Yeah, that, yeah it, was, it was really good. And I'd been asked to bring a couple of cameras because they'd got the screens and they needed pictures for the screens. And again, I don't think there was any kind of massive move to you know thinking about releasing it as a as a thing. And I think Hemp and Case from Holland had a couple of cameras which they threw up as well. And uh, yeah. Jason Telford, who was looking after the um, the video screens, was 
basically fission mixing it as we went along. So it's all kind of cobbled together. And then again, after the fact, was well refined, let's say, <laughs> for this strange convention. Yeah. Yeah. And look where we are now. How many how many times have we been back to Port Zealand? Oh god. Seven, eight That's times. Question, yeah, something like that. Is it eight on that? Have we been eight? You've been nine? Is it? I can't remember. We <laughs> we we took a stand one year, foolishly, and stayed at home. Did you? Which one was that? Who Which did? That? Well, me, Mark, and Julie. Uh, what year was that? I can't remember now. It was 2015, I think. Oh, was it? Mar- was that yeah. the Marvel? That was the Marvel one. That was the Marvel one. Yeah, yeah. That was our biggest production uh, yeah. stuff that we took out for 2015. We had all kinds of things fantastic. going on there. But that yeah. that was it when it was really, really windy as well, wasn't it? It was, yes. blowing, a, it was blowing a gale that night. I remember the, that, that weekend. The projectors were basically swaying in the tent (laughs) you can't really notice it on the blu-ray it looks it's been very professionally edited thank you very much was that the year where you had the full use of the sort of the top of the tent all of that was projected yeah we we projected around the sides didn't we yeah yeah Yeah. that was good that was good yeah it's quite great effect Hmm. do you have much input in do you work with yens on the lighting to be compatible with your filming or do you just you work independently. I mean, the, the god of light. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got to say first up that I mean, what, what a lighting designer. Yeah. I mean, we've we've filmed gigs for bigger bands wh- whose production values have been severely wanting com- compared to a Marillion show, uh, and you know, just having worked at the Royal Albert Hall in the last couple of weeks and having a chat with the guys there about what Yens did in that venue. For, mm-hmm. for the date for the one that we filmed absolutely spectacular so no i don't really have only to sort of meet me jens simon and mark we kind of worked together in in the run-up to a, a big show like port zealand just to work out what what's going to go on the screens um so that we can get it to to jens and then he'll sort of give me an idea of what everything's looking like and it's pretty much i mean i, I we don't need to give any input from our point of view because it just looks spectacular off the bat the only thing that we really get involved with is actually when we get there and we have to sort of adjust our cameras to his light levels. And I've got to say, sometimes when Jens throws the power of a billion suns from the back of the stage against <laughs> the audience, we, we're like, I've got I've uh, one of my colleagues, Steve Gould, who, who people have probably seen his name on the credits of, of everything that we've done ever since uh, since 2007 he's um, a vision engineer so he sits backstage and he does what's called racking the cameras so he'll he'll remotely adjust the iris on the cameras to um, adjust for the lighting levels <laughs> he's on his toes all the time <laughs> or, or his fingers and has to have nimble fingers all the time just to sort of make sure that the ends his lights don't get too bright I was thinking, from a non-technical point of view, I was thinking more of some of the live, older live shows that I've seen, none of your work, but where, say, the stage is bathed in red, it's not particularly mm. great on camera mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. But that's not sort of Jens's style, is it, to just do that? No, no. He's, he's uh, Jens's style is, I don't know, it's, it's dynamic and forensic at the same time because he'll, he'll have something programmed for every beat of a song. You know, every nuance of a song, he'll have he'll have a lighting state ready to go, and that's something above and beyond what I've seen other lighting designers do. Other lighting designers are quite happy to sort of put a wash of colour across the stage and maybe a couple of accent lights here and there. But you know, 
throughout a whole Marillion show, Jens will have got something up his sleeve for pretty much every moment, uh, which is absolutely astounding. You know, the work that goes, the preparation that goes into his work, you know, is incredible. But then again, all, all he has to do during a tour is then just stand there and just press a button to change the lighting. <laughs> he does nothing else all day long. Although saying that, uh, we we did a lot of backstage filming at the Roundhouse gig before Christmas, which uh, is going to get edited together into some kind of like, like day in the life of a Marillion show, uh, which we're looking to put up on the space at some point this year. So you'll see exactly what Jens gets up to there. Yeah, that was a great show, by the way. The, the Roundhouse gig, wasn't it? It was a great gig. Do you like it as a venue? Um, no. <laughs> in short, no. Uh, I think I had a bit of a nightmare getting in and uh, you've got to get in and be there at a reasonable time. So you're inside the well, yeah. they, the pillars. We had a good view, but I've got mates who were there and were sort of stood outside the pillars. And obviously you've got, it's a restricted view from there. It's a, it's a lovely venue. It looks look lovely, but yeah. yeah, but practically. Yeah. The experience, yeah. I remember being outside, you know, about half an hour before the, sh- before doors and it was chucking it down with rain, wasn't it? And the, yeah. and the queue was going right down the road. Yeah. Not good. I mean, I've been there two or three times over the last couple of years and it's always been rammed, absolutely rammed. Yeah. I think the theory of it is better than the practice. It looks good on camera. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great gig. It was a great gig. Would I choose to go there again? Probably not. No, no. Um, can I ask you about, the 2013 Brave show. Yeah, sure. I mean, this was quite a, a, a sort of a theatrical show for for the band, wasn't it? Really, with a lot mm. going on. Yeah. Does that sh- does that prove? And presumably, you've seen the run throughs, have you? Before, by the time you get to film it, like. Yeah. So with that that year, I remember we we actually went to the forum in London for a for a little bit of pre production, um, which basically <laughs> entailed H standing on the stage, going through his cues. You know, I think he was probably more nervous than anybody else about that particular year because, I mean, they were trying to you know, recreate the original tour you know, with all the kind of manhandling of him at the end of Hard, yeah. Hard as Love and, and uh, you know, the candle lighting and all that kind of stuff. And he, and he wanted to be sure that he was going to get things in the do the right things at the right time. So that was a pre-production for the show, basically, <laughs> a day in the forum. Um I mean, we, we cover these things with with uh, enough cameras to get out of jail if uh, we, we miss anything. But I mean, I like to think that I know the pr- music pretty well now. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> not that you you can't direct with your eyes closed, but, you know, it's be very hard for us to miss miss anything these days. And it's the kind of the approach that I make with every, every job that I do. You know, I'll always do my homework on the bands. I mean, one of the biggest, going back to Steps, actually, one of the biggest challenges I had was um, calling the shots when they performed because they each take different lines at different times. So I had to make sure that I had cameras covering each of those individual performers to make sure that we didn't miss anything. And obviously the same goes goes with Marillion. You know, you can't, you can't miss the start of a Rothers guitar solo or, no, no. or you know, or H delivering one of his lines. That that was, that was 2013 was... Uh, yeah, I'm really, really proud of that Brave film. I think it, it sounds up pretty well. Yeah. But, I mean, considering though, 2013 was possibly one of the most difficult sets of the weekends because you had the radiation set, then you had the Brave set, then you had the um, Sunday Night Above the Rain where you had um, the Sounds That Can't Be Made set. So it was a, it was very, very intensive for material. It was, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it was... It was possibly one of the one of the biggest weekends at the time for content. 
Yeah, I guess so. And, and the, the, the uncles on the Brave Night as well. Have you got a list of what they are? I've got them here, yeah. Rich, The Damage, Trap the Spark, Warm Wet Circles, Drilling Holes. Oh, I love that Warm Wet Circles. Out the of cra- this world, see the, the, cra- the space. The crowd on that Warm Wet Circles and the interaction between the crowd and H on that is because they had it was the first year that we had the the ego ramp going into the yeah. into the audience. Yeah. And I'd got the jib camera just floating around him. And there was like that warm, wet sort of thing going on with the crowd. And it just, oh, it was off the scale. It was really, really cool. It was, it's a great show. It really yeah, because that, that's an interesting way that we released all that, wasn't it? Because the, the radiation... stuff night, came out. It was three separate releases, weren't Yeah, because the radiation night was the, the uh, clocks already ticking from yeah. the wolves. The brave night was from Port Zealand. And then the, well, the Sunday night was both. Yeah, Montreal as well. Yeah. Because in Montreal, we had a, a French French-Canadian film crew do that i think there was there was a few students on that one right and it was one of those ones where no, nobody had comms on so nobody knew what they were doing they just had to be pre-directed so, so well you film the guitarist you film the bass player <laughs> and they had one guy that was roaming around on stage getting it everybody's way uh pete harwood almost tripped over the guy at one point and you can imagine how well that went down <laughs> yes yes i know pete he could be very directed he's a lovely man he could be very directed you? But yeah, it's a, a, I mean, Craig, on, on the subject of Brave, Craig has a bit of a campaign that he's started on this pod. Oh, yeah. Which is, I'll let him tell you what it is. No, no, you carry on. He's desperate for the band to do Brave at the Albert Hall. Oh, um, man, yeah. And for you for you to film it, obviously, but yeah. Obviously, obviously. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> it, well, just, it, Lucy mentioned it years ago as one of, the, one of the things that she would love to actually do. And it's like, come on, it's the 30th anniversary this year. Uh, I don't know whether this is possible. That's not going to happen. No, no, no. a bit busy. But it would just be amazing to see them back there full stop, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because they 2017 was great, and then the couple of shows they did, was it a year or two afterwards? A year after, yeah. It's a year afterwards. It almost felt like they were going to become like have their own residency there. But yeah, it's not exactly the cheapest venue, though, is it? Really? Come not on. really. No. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to you've got to be practical. There's quite a levy in there on it, and on releasing anything from the Albert Hall. Yeah, so every venue put 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 puts up a well, ask for a facility fee. It's called a facility fee right. um, to give us the facility of using the place to film stuff or record stuff for release. It's basically a marketing levy, I guess. And yeah, for the Royal Albert Hall, it is significantly higher than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. I think <laughs> you can't get that anywhere else. You got to you got to you got to think from their point of view. If you've got somebody that's saying live at the Royal Albert Hall, it's automatically going to sell a shed load more than it would do if it was like live from Shepherd's Bush Empire. Yeah. yeah. So not like, to sort of diss uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire. Cause I like, that's all right. <laughs> Shepherd's Bush is okay. Just don't sit in the top balcony. That's all. I like Mark's get out of jail free card, Mr. Kennedy that he uses with the South Kensington working men's school. It's <laughs> <laughs> the way to do it. Well, we may as well talk about all one tonight, Tim, which mm. prior to this, to last end of last year, I would have said, is the best brilliant film ever. Um, when were you first involved in in this show? Um, before tickets went on sale, which was a good was that a year before prior? It's over, about a year or so before, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, they they said they were gonna do it. Uh we we went to a couple of pre production, like we went on a little tour around Royal Albert Hall, and then we went back and had specific meetings with the event management staff there to work out where where we could put things from our point of view um so it was, yeah it was one of those ones that sort of probably as much 
um, prep went into that is probably going over to Port Zealand to do three days over there. And of course, it was all part of the fear tour. So Simon had been doing all the fear animations and, and films as well. And you know, the, the Follies were involved with the string quartet and Sam and Emma as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. And I don't think it's until the last couple of years that I've actually really appreciated how absolutely scared stiff of the whole night the band actually were. Yeah, yeah. Because um, a huge thing for them, you know, sort of so relatively late in their career to sort of do their debut at that place. Uh, but of course, everybody's really, really intent on getting it right from their own point of view. And I've, you know, I've probably said this before on, on on some other things that that day was absolutely best, my best day at work ever. That was because really? it, because everybody knew each other so well. The crew, everybody knew us. Uh, Jens just felt like a bunch of mates going into South Kensington Working Man's Club <laughs> and putting on a show and pointing some cameras at it. It just yeah. felt. But in the middle of all this was obviously the band who were absolutely <laughs> quaking in their boots that they were going to get it right and. And H, you you can see when H visibly uh, relaxes during that show. After um, the space, isn't it? After the space, the end yeah. of the space, When yeah. he's done that, he's like, yeah. Yeah. I can relax. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a lovely, I've got a lovely uh, screen grab of him after the show uh, backstage, just sitting on the floor with Vibes, because Vibes was one of the first, first people that went up and hugged him after the show. And they're sort of sitting on the floor having a little chat. And yeah, it's just, it just felt like a really, really lovely day from start to finish. And I I think, I think that comes across in, in things that look great on camera, whether it's what we film or what Anne Marie or Alison might photograph, you know, it's that sense of, um, everybody sort of working together for, for a common goal. And yeah, that's the show. I think that's it. And, and, you know, we were all so proud of our band being in that place for the first time. That's another thing, though, isn't it? Because I mean, one thing that we always try to do with what we produce is not just focused on the band on on stage. It's it, they're they're like one of three components to a gig. It's it, obviously it's probably the most important of four components. They're probably the most important component. But the second is the light show and the production. The third is the audience and how they react and contribute to the show show itself. Because you can have some audiences that don't do anything, and the show's flat as a result and the fourth is the venue and if you can make the the venue a character in a concert film then and everything molds together you get a real sense of of uh, an occasion and yeah yeah that was an occasion do you think Murillo crowds have have got more involved across the years um i think it's been pretty steady actually um i their response I think they've become not more reverent but I mean the take the Royal Albert Hall for for example I think it was a lot of because it was a seated show as well the 2017 show that's always a lot more kind of laid back you don't get people jumping up and down or clapping their hands over their heads unless they're actually prompted to do so by by the band on stage so I I found with that show that the, the audience participation came at the end of each song until you get to something like go with the finger lights you know, and, and that that's where the whole thing falls together and becomes absolutely, something absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, if you look back at something like Cadogan Hall back under Lesser's Moor. Lesser Lesser Moor. Lesser's Moor. 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 Yeah. The Lesser's Moor uh tour. That was obviously a completely different atmosphere and a completely different kind of setup because it was seated, mm-hmm. it was kind of semi acoustic and different different arrangements of the songs, but it worked brilliantly. 
you know, it's a, it, it, it shows how the different kind of shows work so well. I really enjoyed that, that Less Is More project. I thought it was really, really interesting that they didn't just do straight acoustic versions yeah. of the songs. They actually tried to do something different. And visually, to have, like, the xylophones and uh, what's that thing that H plays? A dulcimer. Dulcimer, yeah. Yeah, all that, all that stuff going on. And to get a bit more intimate, and that was the first Meridian show that we actually filmed in HD. Was it? Okay. Yeah, so that was 2009, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, the 2009. Yeah, so, yeah. so we did out a season uh, at Port Zealand earlier that year. Yeah. And then by the time we got round to uh, Cadogan Hall later in the year, we'd actually found an HD solution that wasn't going to break the bank that was good enough to, you know, film in HD. And yeah, I mean, we filmed that over two nights. Like we did yeah, somewhere in London. Yeah. And you got the big the backdrop with the huge Christmas tree as well, haven't you? Yeah, because it was Christmas time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. Another another great couple of shows, really, really good. The All One Tonight, the documentary that's on here, mm-hmm. has got a lot of footage. It's got fan footage outside, footage of fans arriving as well outside, hasn't it? Seems to recall, is it? I haven't seen that in years. Yeah. We did, we did, um, we did have like a documentary unit, and we we did um, well. We got the bands arriving, didn't we? And yes, various, yeah. various bits and pieces. I think I've always enjoyed doing that kind of thing, sort of doing accompanying documentaries to 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 concert films, especially for occasions like that. It just it just feels like it needs something to explain how the day's gone. To be completely honest, I've not seen that in a few years so i can't even remember <laughs> I, think, I think you might be right i have a feeling that is it mark or, or or brothers is arriving and mixed dead's there at the same time it's i think it's something like that just a coincidence but yeah it's uh what's the is it what's the is it depeche modes is it 101 where the 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 film is as much about the young kids going to the the gig mm. as the gig itself yeah yeah anything would anything like that ever appeal to you Definitely, yeah. I mean, any different kind of angle in telling the story about anything is is going to be interesting to to the to, to the viewers. So, yeah, to sort of get fans involved at some stage, but doing it in the right way that it that it works for what this band in particular want to put out there. Yeah, it's. it's I was yeah. going to say we we kind of got unconventional was quite yeah. an interesting yeah. one in that yeah. sense because. Now, I know for a fact that because I, I, I watched the first bit of it uh, not so long ago, the, and I completely forgotten that we'd got people to send in their journeys, you know, from airports and ferry terminals yeah. and getting into their cars and stuff like that. And I rewatched the the opening to that film and thought, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Sort of shows shows people sort of starting at different points on the compass and sort of converging into one place. Yeah. So. But yeah, I was going to say as on with all one tonight, it's a bit of a, a curiosity though that Sky Arts have a habit of showing it quite regularly. It mm. keeps keeps popping up on their schedules in the, the second half of the concert, but they've never approached to show any of the other the other films. It's just odd that they keep showing this particular one and they haven't gone. Oh well, what, what else is in the catalogue? Yeah, when when. Um... I think ear music might have had something to do with that. I could be completely wrong. I'm probably I'm right. not no, sure. Because right. I, I do a bit of work for ear music, and th- they do push the films to broadcast. And if they get taken by broadcast, then Sky Arts have this 
they sort of buy out a film for a certain period of time, which is probably why you see it being repeated every so often. Um, but they won't have bought any other Meridian content. So I, I think the, the the venue is probably the what the attraction of Sky Arts as much as the band, isn't it? You know, from yeah, Albert. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do is get Barnes to get some of the footage from the other gigs and then CGI the back yes. of <laughs> I'm sure he'd be up for that. Definitely. <laughs> Just coming a bit further up to current time. So the there was a, a best of the conventions put out for for last year's mm. New Zealand, uh twenty one years best of the weekends. This has got some of the stuff that we've talked about on it though, hasn't it? It's got uh, it's got a, tra- a couple of tracks from Leicester 2022. I think there's something on here from Marbles by the Sea somewhere else, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Fantastic Place, fantastic I think. Sorry. Place, yeah. yeah, sorry. So there's some extras on here, which, which you know, for rabid collectors like me, was enough to get me to buy it again. Um, did you have any input into this, or was this just sort of collated by the band? And the... No, I think it came as a, a result of... Um... I think Georgina Wisto had the it idea. George, yeah. yeah, George had the idea, and because uh, I think we were lacking in 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 new merch or new releases like that for for the convention, so he said, "Well, why don't you put together a compilation?" And that's where the idea came from. And to be honest, I I think I might have picked most of that set right. list. Yeah, um, sort of in in cahoots with Mike, and then both me and Mike worked together to you know sort of marry up the visuals and the because I mean there's a lot of different frame rates on there <laughs> we, we we filmed no, some of them are 29 that is getting really techy and nerdy now but some of them were filmed at 29.97 frames a second some at 25 some at 24 so we, we the biggest headache about that release was sort of getting them all on the same timeline and making sure they all played smoothly it was ironic that george came up with that idea because on the space um when we first started it, I sort of did a curated by series where people yes, could that, yeah. could sort of um, suggest a set list, and then I'd I'd pull it all together from different concerts. And that's pretty much what that is. Yeah, yeah. What what the uh, XXI is, and it was about trying to make it feel like a continuous experience rather than segmented. So even though you've got the little kind of graphics in between the songs show, telling you where the next song's coming from, Mike worked to sort of get the um, audio to segue underneath it so you felt like you were almost still in the room even yeah it does flow really well actually yeah, yeah it plays it plays through as a nice a nice gig really and then you've got the really early stuff tagged on the end as extras brains from brain sounds and mine head um which is a different time and looks yes. very different <laughs> yeah <laughs> we remember very those, different we remember those days <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. and never mind the accommodation but uh, which See, brings us to this, which oh. I'm holding up, which is an hour before it starts live in Port Zealand, which mm-hmm. I have proclaimed, in my opinion, is the best Merlin live film ever. Wow. It just looks amazing, Tim. It really does. It well, stunning. again, again, it's testament to the, everybody's efforts on the night. You know, um, I think for, for a starter, the, the tent looked very different. Yeah. Because it was, it was uh, wider, which immediately made the whole thing look more epic. Both, both when you were in the room and on camera, yeah. and then what Jens had, Jens was then able to do with the lights as well, given the extra space, you know, really, really um, added to it. And then Simon's animations for the uh, hour before its dark album just really, really, oh man, it, they really, really sort of tied the integrated the artwork with the live show, 
and just made the whole thing feel like a whole kind of, I hate to use the word branded, but you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it had, it's got its own, it's, it's got it's its own visual identity. vibe. Yeah. It's got yeah. its own visual yeah. identity. And Simon really pulled that off with the screens and then the performance of the band, you know, it was absolutely incredible. It was yeah. a fantastic night. It really was. I the mean, own, I... the only thing missing was the choir. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Never. I mean, even with the wide stage, I'm not sure they'd have fitted on, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have the budget for it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still, I am still. love the Sunday the, the Sunday night as well. Mm. I can't wait for the second half of Sunday night. Um, you know, it's it's a tease. It's having the first half of it on there, but I understand why it's released that way. Yeah, well, but, I mean, going back to the our, our sort of input into it, the last couple of times we've done Port Zealand, uh, we've taken very minimal camera setup with us com- compared to something like 2013 and 2015 where we had we had a jimmy jib crane we had um we had sort of tracking cameras at front of house we had all kinds of stuff going on um but i think around about the time of the royal albert hall show we we had, we had a meeting at racket and we kind of decided that because the conventions were pretty much fan interest only we'd kind of pare down the the production design save a bit of money cover the shows and release them as box sets or whatever for, for the fans and then any tour shows that come and come up then we we put all the beans into that so with friends at st david's was an example of that we we put a lot of um time and effort into that one but so it's ironic that you should say that that uh, an hour before it's dark is the best one where we had probably less cameras than. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's a mixture of the set list, the way the way it sounds and looks. Um, I mean, the St David's is a great show. It's it's a lovely show, but this is we've been and also the fact that you, they'd not put Leicester out. If they'd put Leicester out before this, that might lessen the effect of this. But I think mm. we were really this was overdue by by the point the point it came out to have the live and yeah. have well i think it's, it's, it's a good um it's a good example of sort of saving not burning your matches before yeah. Keep the powder dry. that's exactly it yeah yeah because you know if we put leicester out you, i don't think we've had screens at leicester did we for that show mm, I, remember. I, no, I don't think we did so you would you would have everybody's vision would have been ta- not tainted but would have been you know informed by that Leicester show. Yeah. So some people might have thought, well, Port Zealand is just another an hour before its start performance when it wasn't just another an hour before its start performance. It's pretty much, you know, the definitive. Leicester was streamed though, wasn't it? It wasn't streamed live, it was streamed though. Does, yeah, that, does that provide you with any extra technical challenges or well um I think sort of backtrack a little bit to Hammersmith because we 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 actually live streamed um the light at the end of the tunnel show at hammersmith and that went out live so that was a case of yeah we squeaky bum time from our point of view because you had to make (laughs) sure that the uh you know the stream was solid that it would go out that you know my my job was to make to make sure i called the right shots you know going back to you know hitting rother's guitar solo on and all that kind of stuff um i'd got a guy called simon sanders sitting next to me who's a top broadcast vision mixer who did the live vision mix for that one and that all went out as live you know live tv the leicester one you're right there was a there was a week's delay wasn't there and i think that was we didn't have a a bad overall experience of hammersmith but the band felt a little bit more comfortable with saying well let's do the gig 
let's see if there's anything that might need fixing, you know, visually or you know, anything that not, might need to be tightened up in, as far as you, the the music goes. Uh, let's let's give Mike and Tim a week to sort that out and then put it up. So we had a similar setup for Leicester. I had a vision mixer. We vision mixed it live. So all that I needed to do in that week was to tweak the edit just a little bit. And I don't think I really really needed to do very much. It sort of went went out as it was filmed on the night. Yeah. You've got the added bonus then of everyone who was there streaming it as well. That's right, yes. You know, if you're in, because <laughs> we were still in Hammersmith when he was streaming Hammersmith, so we didn't see that, yeah. No. <laughs> we won the crowd. <laughs> and the H Natural, because you've streamed a couple of H Natural shows now. Yeah, we've done, the first one was the the one at St. John's um, in Oxford during lockdown, where we had no audience, which was really, really strange. Um H found it really, really strange, and but I thought I really, really liked that because we were all we were almost able to set it up as a as a TV shoot rather than a concert shoot. So yeah. I worked with uh, Stevie Finch from Cyan, who's been involved with the band for for a number of years now, well, a number of years, a couple of decades, I think. Uh, they're the they're the lighting company that supply Yens with all the lights for for tour and stuff. Yeah, but we sort of came up with this kind of light bulb idea and got a tracking camera behind it and it gave gave us visually some really nice stuff. And then the next couple of years, yeah, we did did the Christmas show. Uh, but this year we um H wanted to try to do something different, so we went to the Crooked Billet when he did the Crooked Billet show. How was that? Um yeah. Interesting, but I'd rather do the Christmas show, to be honest. And I think a lot of a lot of people were a little bit disappointed that because we'd done it for two or three years, that they sort of put that into their Christmas tradition box, and yeah, yeah let's watch let's watch H Natural the Saturday before Christmas kind of thing, and we didn't do it this year. Yeah. So hopefully we'll go back and and live stream again because he's building up the shows, isn't he? Because he he did yeah. two this year there, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did two, and then he's he's also done Trading Boundaries about three or four times, mm-hmm. either in November and December. Um, have you seen the Friends Romans? that he did with Ranastran. Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of it, yeah. Because I've got all that material here, so whenever H wants a trailer for anything, then I sort of delve into that. Yeah, that looked pretty nice as well. You're not I, involved I, in, the, in the Rome thing that he's doing in a couple of weeks then? No. I did do, I did have a hand in filming the Stockholm show. I don't know whether that ever came out. No. I've seen that. No, that was in 2015. I was over in Stockholm exactly the same time as h was playing the show and he, he phoned up because i've got some guys who want to film it can you come and help them so, all right, <laughs> if i must <laughs> if i must you mentioned earlier about the uh the documentaries for the the reissues mm. i have to i think i've said it on the pod already they're the first thing that i put on when i get the boxes now they're, they're just the, the script one in particular is just it, it's a potted history of the first three four years of the band. You know, getting everybody yeah. else involved was a masterstroke. It's really yeah. Good. I mean, the, the that that's got a lot to do with the guys at Racket. I can't remember who got Mick po- persuaded Mick Pointer to come along to do an <laughs> interview, but fair play. To Probably Stephanie, I would have thought, but yeah, maybe. Well, we had to, he had to be done first and wheeled out before anybody else. Arrived, <laughs> so. But no, I found him to be quite a, a friendly kind of guy. I think he, I think he probably held back a little bit in some of some of the uh, uh, subject matter. But no, that was a really enjoyable one to do. That was, you know, it's, it's almost like the the, or, the origins of the band, isn't it? Yeah, it is the origins of the band and the whole the whole lot all together. You know, the first eight albums. We, you know, we bit by bit we're really building up a lovely kind of documented history of of Marillion. 
yeah you know through their own eyes which is quite quite amazing it's great um and very early on depeche mode put all their albums out on sacd and each one came with a 30 minute documentary mm-hmm. and this is and, and that again gives you a sort of a, a history of the band but this is much more in depth you know you're averaging about an hour to an hour and a half on these aren't you they seem yeah. to grow every every release seems to be a bit longer than the last one. <laughs> so it's really difficult. I mean, like I say, I'm in the middle of doing this strange engine at the moment. So we filmed the interviews last year and we went into Racket that day and not one of the band thought that they could remember a single thing. And I'm struggling to cut it all down into, into a manageable length. Because, <laughs> you know, and that was the difference between doing I mean, we we did do the like the round table documentaries where we had um, you know Chris Kimsey come in to talk yeah. with them about Misplaced Childhood, Dave Megan with Brian. Yeah, the, the earlier like ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which works really well. I really quite like them. But then I think they decided they wanted to do the interviews individually, which offers its own different dynamic to the whole thing. Yeah, and it's it's quite it's quite interesting to to hear that of their opinions about. I mean, there's one there's going to be one moment on this strange engine about a certain song where there is a complete difference of opinion about whether it's any good or not should be quite amusing if i get the editing right <laughs> yeah um I, I think the the one the, the the films for the first four albums you know where, where they where you had the round table i think fish kind of dominates the conversation as well so mm. um rightly or wrongly and for, for misplaced childhood i remember mark came up to me afterwards he goes you know that story that fish told about whatever it was. Goes, that's not his story. That's my story. He admits <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's great. And like you say, it's building up a catalogue of the band's history. Mm. Um, you know what, yeah. though? I think there's still um, like a, an overall documentary that needs to be made, you know, like a feature length thing that is one and a half, two hours long that actually tells the story of the band from start to to well wherever we are now or finish yeah. or wherever it happens that is a big challenge and that isn't a matter of you know gutting what we've already done and cutting it up because it would have to be approached in a completely different different way i think so lucy I... mentioned something like that years ago like years mm. and years and years ago because i've got a thing in the back of my mind reminders is that one of Ian's friends is, uh, is it Roland Riveron, the actor and comedian. Okay. And they tapped him to do the voiceover and to, to narrate it, but it never it never got off the oh, ground. I never knew that. Never knew that. I've got <laughs> some crap in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> he, could have made up, he could have made all of that up to him. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, Simple Minds have done one recently. They um, have. I've not yeah. seen it. It's on Paramount, isn't it? Yeah, I... I, I I caught it the other week, and it's really, really good, really well Is done. It? They've they've wheeled out some some pretty big name people to sort of talk talk about them on their behalf. But the thing it thing with that is it's it's about one and a half hours long, but it mm. it focuses in so much on on the early part of the career up until probably street fighting years, yeah. and then it kind of tails off into well they kind of did this this that and the other, and then the last ten fifteen minutes is you know where they've come back to now. But you know they did it quite nicely because for me anyway I, I love Simple Minds but that ba- but that band is pretty much a story of brotherhood between Jim Kerr and Charlie Burchill yeah so it was really lovely to see that covered as you know the underlying kind of theme of the whole thing did they cover the Mel Gainer 
split on trial? Um, not overtly. I think he was actually interviewed. But, right. uh, so, but no, he was obviously, you know, mentioned and stuff. Yeah, but... yeah. No, I, 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 I would like to see it. I'll probably just have to subscribe to Paramount for a week or so and then... Do a free trial. Is, oh, is the free trial? Oh, well, there you do go. Do a free I'm trial. Sure. Watch what you Catch want. Them. Then, then... then... But but don't do that on the space. (laughs) Oh no, no. Do do your free trial and then subscribe. There's a free trial on the space. Three days. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the exclusive stuff you've got on the space, Tim? Oh crikey, what have we got on there? Okay, Okay, so you tell me. Well, we've got got marbles by the sea. That that, you can only see that on the space. You've got the Rio, January nineteen ninety. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, Marbles by the Sea, An Hour Before It's Dark, live in Leicester, 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was some other stuff. All all the episodes of Unconventional, but that's that's out elsewhere. But it's only five forty nine a month. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, fifty four ninety nine a year. That's right. Yeah, and we're we're trying so hard to get this right because we realise that people think that it's something that you know. You, you should be able to watch on your tellies. So we're having a lot of people ask us how to Chromecast or use Apple Play and, and that kind of thing. And we would absolutely love to to have this on what they call an OTT app, something like Netflix or mm. Amazon Prime, yeah. where you can just access it and it pops but up. It costs a fortune. It costs an absolute fortune, yeah. So there are ways and means of getting the space onto your telly, whether it's via an HDMI cable or or using a web browser on, on your telly as well. But <laughs> we found ourselves being like a, a TV channel tech department as well as trying to produce the content and do the right thing by putting the right stuff up. But I think the important thing is that we, we do try and put as much up as possible that is of sufficient professional standard that warrants it yeah. being there and being paid for. And it's, it's all part of the whole... Um, you know, the mix of the visual stuff that we're trying to sort of pull together for Marillion in that we've got we've got the YouTube channel, which is kind of chatty and almost podcasty and more of kind of an immediate kind of way of keeping keeping up to date with what the bands are up to and seeing them sort of tell you about it as well. But then to sort of try and get people then from there to, you know, give the space a try, see what's on there. And there is a lot on there. There's, there is. There, there is. I was there are, scrolling through it today, yeah. It wouldn't yeah. uh, what was your reaction to the three six five club when it was uh, <laughs> well i i've kind of originally thought well yeah lucy sold it to me and we, it was sold even further by the fact that we were coming up with enough ideas to you know populate a full year of youtube uploads so we, we spent a day recording and filming a load of stuff at racket in the november or december prior to the big kick off and then i i've got a mate who lives up in uh, york in yorkshire so i went up to him and hold myself up up in his spare bedroom where he when he went out to run his bookstore and i quickly kind of thought this is going to be very hard because i was i was trying to edit as much content together as possible in in that week that I, i spent doing it and it was only chipping away at the mountain you know and yeah. it was like and i think i think during that time even though we weren't we, we didn't talk to each other me lucy mark we all kind of had the same thoughts at the same time and we'd got some other people's opinions coming in which varied from that's a fantastic idea i'd love to see that every day to are you bloody mad yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I think the way it's kind of landed with Marillion Monthly is good. It's, uh, you know, Lucy, we talked to Lucy about the first episode when we did the review of the year. <laughs> Yeah, I had that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's worked out really well. Unfortunately, there's some no marks on the end of the last episode that's just gone out. Don't uh, know yeah, there's a couple of wazics <laughs> at the end. I don't know how they got in there, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but no, it's good. It's a good mix. And it uh, is. having the, the, the was it Q&A from, what was it, Leicester? No, it was PZ. Yeah. The PZ Q&A was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, with my telly head on, I'd like to format it in, a, in an altogether... Well, not an altogether different way, but I'd like to format it so that you you know what to expect each month in terms of having an introduction, a feature piece, a competition, you know, various segments of a program that people can contribute to and get involved in and then know that when they return to watch the next month's edition, they might be on Meridian Monthly. That's the kind of way that I'd like to try and push it. But I mean, Lucy's done an absolutely fantastic job because she's because I'm I mean, admittedly, I'm very busy with other stuff other than Meridian at the moment. So to have Lucy um, come up with ideas for it. I mean, we we shot something the other week, which will probably be not this month, but maybe next month's edition. Yeah, that is very different to what we've done before. Different subject matter, for, uh, looking at the band from a completely different angle, which will be very interesting. But we we laugh because whenever Lucy goes on holiday, she she, she always comes up with her best ideas when she's lying on the sunbed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how the couch convention came about. Uh, so uh, again, was some great idea during lockdown, wasn't it? Really? Oh yeah, yeah, fantastic idea. I mean, it's something we should maybe do again at some point. Why not? I mean, Why not? I mean, it was well received. I mean, with the band sort of holed up in the studio for most of this year. Then, oh, except the guitarist, yeah. Yeah, who seems to be announcing gigs right, left and centre. <laughs> We're encouraging him because we bought tickets today, yeah. <laughs> You're just encouraging him and stop it. Well, you know, it's got to be done. It's either that. I mean, it's, it's going to be a year of tribute bands. Of the, well, it is anyway, isn't it? I mean, all the tribute bands are, are seem, appear to be doing Fugazi 40s tours, don't they? Oh, are they? I didn't realise yeah, that. Yeah. A lot of them. With the exception of Still Marillion, who were going to do... An all day in Leicester where they're doing H era and Fish era. All so. oh, right. Um, but yeah. One thing I'm going to ask Tim, and it's a, a little bit of a, not exactly elephant in the room. Uh, we've been talking to Lucy, and there's been a bit of a debate on about your know, 5.1 and Atmos and things like that with, mm-hmm. with sound. Take a step to the left and talk about 4K. Now, I know there was a while, there was talk a while back about, was it um, the friends from the orchestra the the cardiff gig was originally mooted to possibly be in 4k then mm. what's the costing like now is it is it viable moving forward or is it, no, is it something that's still out of out of reach because there's not enough demand or it's not just the costing it's the whole workflow of the of the production process and fast forward from friends with the orchestra which we did shoot in 4k um to now where we shoot pretty much everything in 4k as a matter of course <laughs> you, you you're dependent on faster computers uh larger storage capacity etc 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 and pretty much all the facilities companies that we use these days if it's not our own cameras they're all set up to provide 4k production and workflow so acquiring the footage is not a problem at all editing the footage is Still a bit clunky at times, depending on how much stuff that my my system has to uh, 
uh, cope with, but that's doable. It's I think it's finding the delivery mechanism that that is going to be widely, you know, used by by the end viewer. That yeah. is is the thing now, and I don't think. I might be wrong, but I don't think the space, the platform that the space is on, which is a company called Uscreen, is set up for 4K. I know YouTube, you can put 4K onto YouTube. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I expect Apple Music and, and iTunes can can stream 4K stuff. It's doable now, completely doable. Phys- physical media, though, I don't think there's that many people actually have 4K players. I think it's, it's a it's it's never it's never taken off anywhere like Blu-ray has. But even in America, no. DVD's still king. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I, it always beggars belief, really, to have the amount of DVDs that Marillion sell. And as you know, as a filmmaker, when you know that there is much, much better quality yeah. um, media available, I mean, even, I mean, even HD, I mean, is completely acceptable. Well, that's even, it. Even with with, with most four K players, the, the upscaling of a Blu Ray on in a four K player onto a UHD uh, TV screen is fantastic. Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. it's but it would be nice to see some 4K discs, but I think demand-wise, it, it's... Because it's a manufacturer of it. Because to manufacture Blu-ray discs, you have to buy for each each title a Blu-ray license because it's a branded thing and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So that makes producing Blu-rays exponentially higher than doing DVDs. Um, I, I Controversial, but I would like to see the death of DVD because you're basically making a standard definition project product out of something that we're spending a lot of time and effort to make as look as good as it can and you can't really replicate that on standard def especially when when your tbt players hooked up to a 68 inch television yeah. screen <laughs> <laughs> and the cost of blu-ray players is is, is coppers really for, for you still i still <clears> see <throat> discussions online about i don't have a i don't have a blu-ray player you know, somebody brings out a surround mix on Blu-ray only. Why mm-hmm. don't I have a Blu-ray player? Would it work on my DVD player? Well, I just I don't get it. Just... But for the for the price of the Blu-ray, you can buy a Blu-ray player, so it's not going to cost yeah. you. You know, it's not like thousands. You know, mm-hmm. even even a four K player now, the, the you know you can get them under a hundred pounds. So it's not as if it's a a very expensive thing. But I think it's also the fact of some people are at the point where they don't want to collect things anymore. Well, that's where the challenge is, isn't it? Um, a lot of people are sort of not going for physical media these days because it clusters up. I mean, although I'm looking behind you, Mesa. Yeah. <laughs> your shelves of stuff. There's walls of it. In it. It's, it's, this is a box bedroom. Yeah. And three of the walls look like that. So. Uh-huh. And I've got massive between DVD, Blu-ray and 4K all over. Yeah. yeah so people still like to collect, especially if it's something that's packaged nicely, that's you know like like a deluxe book or something like that it really sort of adds value to the whole thing uh, but you know what i'd like to i'd like to put some meridian back up on the cinema screen at some point because we had some we had a couple of good times doing that in wolverhampton oh. yeah it was great yeah yeah oh it was, that was great that was great at the light yeah at the lighthouse yeah the lighthouse. Yeah, sorry, the lighthouse. sorry yeah that was brilliant that was Couple of brilliant nights there, mm-hmm. and us being, us being Divi sitting at the back, just playing silly buggers with three D glasses on, completely three D. Then, then it turned round, and the band were actually sitting behind us, so had three D glasses on. It was like bloody hell, I stayed there in the room. Because <laughs> you, you had a connection with the lighthouse, didn't you, Tim? Yeah, I used to work for them. Yeah, yeah that's right. pretty much how I st- started in in pointing cameras at things. Yeah, because I, I had worked at um, UCI cinemas. 
uh, the multiplex uh, chain as a manager and then sort of found my way eventually to Lighthouse, which was an independent media centre. And they, they had a cinema, they did they had a gallery, they did uh, media training courses and video production training courses. And I was there as a marketing manager type person and s- slowly got myself involved in the vid- video production side of things as a producer. So I used to send the students out to do real low budget stuff for, for local co- uh, commercial businesses mm. so i was like started as a producer and i've always i had always wanted to do concert film and i sort of gravitated slowly towards the create more creative side of it and until i actually got my hands dirty on a edit suite and that's where where it all started so lighthouses i've got a lot to thank for for them but they're they're they are no longer with us they yeah. uh they they went under because all the, they needed all the arts council funding and everything else and that, that's obviously all slowly eroded over the years and they they sort of basically just became a cinema at the end of the day and uh, then they didn't have the audience and then they didn't have the money so yeah it's a lovely space yeah well tim it's been great to chat to you um i, I think what you do with the band is you know you're a big part of 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 what i enjoy about the band from the documentaries to the even the promos you know the the singles promos that we've not really talked about much um i'm very excited about the stuff you're doing big big train craig will switch off at this point (laughs) um uh, have you heard the new album um i'm expecting to have something drop in my data box at some point fairly soon yeah very excited about that but yeah you're a massive part of what we do and from seeing you around at gigs and just chatting to you, you're a lovely fella. You know, you, you, oh, you've had thank some you very much. Well, you are, you are. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on today. We really enjoyed it. Craig, anything else you wanted to ask him before we go? I just think you're a legend, kidder. You really oh, are. Oh, stop I, it. Lo- love, love your work and you're a canny bloke. Oh, cheers, mate. You, um, you two, you two are bad either. Well, thank you very much. And please sign up for the space, everybody. Yes, please. <laughs> Five forty nine a month. It's well worth it. Well, look, thanks again for coming on, Tim. We do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care. Cheers. Well, it's good night from me, and it's good night from him, and it's good night from Tim. Good night. Take care. Stay alive. Yay! Thanks for listening to Planet Marzipan podcast. Please like and subscribe from whichever platform you get your podcasts from. You can contact us at planetmarzipanpodcast at gmail.com and check out marillion.com fishmusic.scot or fishmusic.eu for all the good stuff